she was way different than I was, which I think all siblings are typically, but she was, you know, my mom was very creative, great baker. Um, she was a professional cake decker for years and Lydia got all of those genes. So cooking, baking. In fact, the first thing my son, my little guy said to me, who's going to make my birthday cake? Because she'd made his birthday cake every year. Warning, the podcast you're about to listen to may contain graphic descriptions of violent assaults, murder, and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Murder Police Podcast, The Murder of Lydia Cassidy, Part 1. Welcome back, listeners. Today, we are going to talk to my good friend, Carolyn Hunley, about the brutal domestic violence murder of her beautiful sister, Lydia Cassidy, which happened on January 5, 2022. Carolyn, thank you so much for coming to join us. Thank you for having me. I feel really blessed to be here. Thank you. I'm sorry that we met under the circumstances that we did. But unfortunately, we met under very similar circumstances, and we kind of both know what each other have gone through. And strangely enough, our incidences, which brought us together, happened literally one month and one day apart. Yes. Yeah. And I wanted to thank you, too, for taking the time and having the courage to speak about something that's painful. Uh, one of the goals that me and Wendy have in this is to let the people out there know Lydia is other than a number or something they saw in a flash in a news article, because that's unfortunately what it is, who she was and an individual. And one more time, too, is back to Angie's case. If there's anything we can let people know about what these signs might look like and give people a little more courage to make the big moves in their lives that are very difficult, yep. hopefully there will be a message in this, too. So thank you again for coming. Well, I appreciate it. And if, you know, again, to celebrate my sister, you know, just to keep her name recognized out there, as well as if it keeps one other person from being six feet under. Absolutely. Right? So, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Carolyn, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I have a family now of, uh, I have two boys. I have a little guy who's eight and a big guy who's 20. And we now have custody of my niece and nephew uh, who are. Shortly will be 18 and just turned 17. So um, I have been in the hospitality business for about 25 years. So in and out of hotels, lodging and things like that. So, Well, how neat. Well, and, you know, I had the fortune of coming to your beautiful home, which I can't I I was blown away when I saw your home. I've I've never seen a home like that. I, I don't know if we. You can't call it pole barn because that's not what it is, but it's the most massive, amazing (laughs) place that you have out there. And, you know, I don't know that I knew you were in hospitality, but it all makes sense that platter of food you had laid out for all of us when we got there. And it was just so welcoming. And it was a tribute to to your sister. And it was just a really nice, um, it was a very nice evening, despite the circumstances that we were there. Yeah. 
Yeah, my that's all due to my husband, the the pole barn, and they call them par- barn dominiums. And so he he's you know we bought some land, and he had a dream, and we've created that dream, and it's just a beautiful place. So oh, it's amazing. And, we lo- and you know you look back on it, and you go, gosh, we made it a little bit extra big, you know, with extra bedrooms for people to come and stay. Yeah. And little did we know that this past year. You know, we would have two additional children in our home. So I think it was just a blessing. It, it was, and it worked out perfect. Um, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about Lydia? Tell us tell us who she was. So Lydia was my little sister. So she was about 11 years uh, younger than I was. Um, my mother had remarried uh, my stepfather, and they didn't think they could have children. And so... Uh, poof, here comes Lydia. And so uh, my mom was a lot older when she had Lydia. And so I think that's what made Lydia and I so close is because I kind of played a little bit of mama role. Sure. And so um, she was just, when she was born, I I think up until she was like two or three, she was the colic baby. So everybody was like, (sighs) does all she do is cry right now? It's like, no, no, no. Hopefully she'll Sure she does. (laughs) Uh, but she was also born with a heart defect and uh, went back then, you know, in 82, you know, the heart world wasn't as advanced as it is today. And when she was born, I mean, my mom was told she may not make it till she's 21. Oh, wow. And so we were constantly in and out of, you know, um, the hospital, medicine. I mean, even when she'd go get her teeth worked on, she'd have to have medicine, like just tons of antibiotics. And finally, all the new wave and uh uh, new heart stuff came about and uh, she was given a pig valve as she got a little bit older. And wow. so she lived with pig valve for a long time and then did a mechanical valve. So wow. you know, when she neat. died, she actually had a mechanical valve, but she was just, uh, she was always a younger sister, always tagging along anything we were doing. So she's probably a little older than she probably should have been, especially with me. So she was hanging out with my friends, my, you know, where we went and what we did. And, and so again, I think that's why, you know, it was kind of like, you know, kind of felt like you raised her because she was kind of part of kind of part of my world really big time. She was sure. she was way different than I was, which I think all siblings are typically. But she was, you know, my mom was very creative, great baker. Um, she was a professional cake decker for years. And Lydia got all of those genes. So wow. cooking, baking. Um, the love for the outdoors and, you know, she had a fascination and love for horses and, you know, and I would much rather be inside (laughs) or if I'm outside, I'd rather be at a pool, you know? Um, But, you know, she was always kind of the outdoor nature and more of the inside cook and, you know, just knew how to make something. And the coolest thing is she was so, didn't matter what you got, she could taste it and then make it. Wow. And so, you know, even things like sauces, certain sauces and stuff. And, you know, I remember one time getting takeout and going, oh my gosh, they didn't put the tzatziki sauce or whatever it was from the Greek restaurant. She goes, do you have this, this, and this? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay. Give me a second. And I mean, it tastes just like it. Oh, you know, wow. so she she's just really so good at that kind of stuff. A big, like a big threat to Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm picturing them with that handcuffed exactly. briefcase now that they used to tote that around in. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Very crea- creative, crafty. You know, you see something, she's painting stuff. And, you know, she'd always go to those paint classes and things, wow. you know, where they did the paint and the wine and all that. 
And, you know, I would try to do something. It looked like a kindergartner and hers would look like it would come out of the art museum. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, we see who got the creative genes here. So. So growing up uh, with Lydia, I'm, I, I'm guessing, you know, like you said, you all had that age in between you. So, so I can see you were a mother figure, but also she, she probably very much looked up to you. And then you to her as, as you all got older with, mm-hmm. with her creativity. Oh, yeah. Well, and you always had her, you know, it was like the you would partner the two of us. It's like, okay, every family event, I was like, okay, I'm going to need you to cook this and bake that. And I'm going to get this and I'll make sure everybody's invited. And I was always the front person and she was always the person doing the- Doing all the work all in the, the back well, all, And she was just great at making sure that everybody had, you know, the foods tasted great. The, the cake was, in fact, the first thing my son, my little guy said to me, Who's going to make my birthday cake? Oh, after when he after found she out. passed. Oh. Because she'd made his birthday cake every year. Oh. But she'd made my older son's birthday. So that was like one of the first, you know. So, I mean, that's how yeah. memorable her stuff was, you sure. know. <laughs> Did you all grow up here in Nicholasville? We actually grew up in Scott County. Well, I grew up in eastern Kentucky. And my mom and stepdad moved to Scott County, Georgetown. Um, and he was with the phone company world and we moved there and that's where Lydia was born in Georgetown. Well, actually in Lexington, but Georgetown grew up in Georgetown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's where she went to school and graduated. And so moving on into her adulthood, tell us as she got older, um, prior to getting into this very volatile relationship with, with Ken, uh, Ken strange to be exact, um, had she dated much before then, or was he kind of her first real relationship? Um, she didn't date a whole lot. She had a lot of guy friends, you know, a lot of guys that, you know, was in her circle of friends. Um, and then she, you know, right out of high school, fell in love with a young guy and they got married. And oh. I think got married, obviously, a little too young. Um, and so that didn't work out. So about a month in that came to a stop and, you know, and that's when she actually met Ken. So, and Ken was, you know, he's 14 years older than she was. How old was she when she met him? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it was 2004 when she met him, probably late in 2004. So So maybe 27, eight, maybe she was born in 82. Oh, my math. So she she was like early twenties. Oh, right? so, oh, yeah. she she was young. Okay, yeah. so when they how did they meet and how did they start dating? Met at work, um, and I don't know that there was a whole lot of dating. I think they met at work. I think uh, she was actually living with my husband and myself there in in the interim, um, and from that, I think at that point it was you're kind of moving in with me. And so um, she actually moved right in into his house. Yeah. And he had two older. There were two older siblings by another another woman. Um, And they were still within the home there, I think, for the last year or so. So um, but he they moved in together. Yeah. And then they ended up having two children together that you now have. Yeah. Pretty immediately, I would say within. Four to six months, she was pregnant with my nephew. Yeah. And he was born in 2005. And then my niece was born 13 months later in 2006. And she and Ken, they never married. They never married. And he didn't want to be on their birth certificates. So, really? Did you, did anybody ever figure out why? 
I think it was probably twofold. I think, you know, Lydia said he didn't want to be on them because of any type of accountability. And the flip side was there was also some government more assistance that they could get because he was a truck driver. He made good money. So he wasn't going to be they They weren't going to be able to get any government assistance if he put his name on. Sure. Mm. So oddly enough, I'm not sure that I know a man that may not put their name on their children's. It's still different. Yeah. Even though it it's, sounds, it's, I can I can kind of see a strategic thing to it, but it's not a great strategic yeah. thing. No. It's a, yeah. I I think it's my personal opinion, knowing guys, is yeah. it's like the bailout option. Yeah. It's deniability. You know, my husband would say, you know, what man doesn't put his name sure. on his kids? Yes. So they don't have his last name. They have my sister's last name. Yeah. Wow. That's right. Now, during this long courtship they had had you all ever seen any problems any red flags so we had very limited first access to him other than between her living with us and us trying to figure out what was going on with everything and then her immediately kind of moving in with him there was a little bit of i think it was more like i've got this thing like i'm grown up now you know i I'm on my own or I'm going to get on my own. And even to the point that my mother, you know, at first blush was, oh, this guy's older. He's more established. He's got a good job. He's got a home, you know, almost like he's going to be the knight, you know, the white knight in shining armor. Yeah, he saves the day. That's right. And both my husband and I from point A, I mean, especially my husband was like, he's not a good guy. He's, I mean, just... You know, kind of like what you were saying too, David. You know, in reference to uh, Angie. You know, yeah. when you kind of meet, you, you're like, mm. and so you know, there were there were some definite red flags um, in the beginning. Um, you know, at one point in between my nephew's uh, my niece being born and my nephew was born. Um, I remember driving home, and we lived way out in the country at the time. And I remember my mother calling me. And screaming on the phone when I answered the phone. And she's like, he's, he said he's coming home. He's driving home. He's on the road, you know, his truck driver. He's, he's coming home and he's going to kill her. And he is, she's threatened. He's threatened to kill her. And I'm like, what? You need to calm down. And as she called the police and, and really nothing really came of that. Cause you know, I was kind of like, she needs to get out of the house, right. call the police. She doesn't need to be home. And then I think it all got kind of, I don't know, watered down or downplayed from my sister after that point, because I think, you know, she knew better, you know, I think to- they know that you get those reactions and they, I feel like with Angie anyway, I felt like she deep down knew that I knew mm-hmm. So she didn't want to tell a lot because she knew my reaction. But, you know, like you said that your husband said, when I first met Angie's murderer, I came home and I told David, I do not like him. There's something bad about him. And as soon as you met him, you also said, oh, that's he's not a good guy. Yeah. Um, And I did voice that to her. And she's, you know, kind of maybe like Lydia did with. Maybe I know Angie said, oh, you're just being protective of me, you know, just give it time. You know, Mm -hmm. you really don't know him. He's so nice. And Mm -hmm. I really think deep down they know, Mm -hmm. but they want so badly to be loved. 
and yeah, needed. There's, there's some biases that come up. I, I think I've said it before, but a guy I used to work with, Charlie O'Connell, we mm-hmm. lost him a couple of years ago, rest in peace. But when I was a young police officer, I was riding with Charlie one night and he said, Davey, you can't argue with somebody that's drunk or in love. Mm-hmm. And no truer words have ever been spoken. So I think there's that built-in confirmation bias that people have on yes. they fall into advocacy so hard. That's why it's so hard to reach people. Yeah. It's because, like you said, Wendy, they just want to be loved. Yes. That's, that's what yeah. this comes down to. So. Well, and I think, you know, in, in a lot, and what I see now that I've been diving into a little bit more of the domestic violence stuff, I mean, what I, what I see out there, too, is, you know, just like my sister, she lacked self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't a good communicator. Like she struggled with that, like communicating, like what she loved to do. She was great at like horses and all the stuff. And there at the end, her medical stuff, she was great at that piece, but communicating of this is a problem, Carolyn, we need to like, you know, some of those, those things came towards the very end, but not in the early days. Yes. I think for her, it was, I've now found this man He's established. Mom likes him. He's going to take me away and take care of me, and everything's going to be grand. And while anyone on the outside, most of us, now excluding my mother at first, but I think as soon as we got into that first year, mom was like, she started seeing mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and and again, mom mom died in twenty seventeen, and those last two years of my mother's life, I mean, she was calling him out publicly with the, and I would literally when he would leave and they would leave, I'd look at mom and go, you're not making this any better. I, I get it that you've got something with him, but you're only making it worse for Lydia because she's not going to be able to come here. And that's exactly what happened yes. the last two years of my mother's death. Like they came on holidays, but they weren't allowed to kind of come and hang out and, you know, hang out with mama like they used to because, He's going to put a stop to that. Well, that her intuition's on fire. Yeah. And then the protectiveness. The mama and I'm guessing it probably was much like Angie that the phone calls would, they'd sneak and make them. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then delete the call log or delete absolutely. the text. We went through that. Yep. And, you know, much like you said, Angie, uh, you know, Angie was so confident with so many things. She was so, so smart, kind of like your sister. Um, now, she did not have problems communicating anything as far as being outspoken, and I, I think that ultimately was her demise. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, you know, had dealt with her weight for mm-hmm. so long, and she was heavy. Yeah. And I went through the whole gastric bypass, and then she felt so great because she lost 100 pounds. Yeah. And that's what took us on our trip that also caused problems. But, you know, he had her gaining weight again Mm -hmm. and getting more, uh, you know, she would never leave without being so dolled up and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And someone had sent me a picture of her uh, at a, at a particular place and her hair wasn't fixed. She had no makeup on. She gained weight back. And I think they beat them down so much. And maybe Lydia went through that as well. And then she stopped for a while, maybe like Lydia did telling me, of the problems, but then at the end, she's like, look, this is what's going on. I, I need you to help me figure this out. Yeah. And and so I think they suppress that, maybe hoping. Yeah. Um, and that then when they re- yes. Mm-hmm. And then when they see it doesn't, they and they realize that it's bad. Yeah. Then it, they reach out for that help. And and sadly, in both of our cases, it was right. too late. Yeah. Now you said that she had she had met him. He had two children by another person. So the children 
move it? The children live with him and Lydia. Why did they not live with their mom? I'm not quite sure. I really don't know that. I, you know, I'm assuming because again, control factor for him is I've got my kids. Could I would very assume. Well be, could very I would well assume. be. Yeah. So, so during this time, they're together. They have these children. Things are, you're kind of, your heckles are a little up, but you're kind of just riding it out. Yeah. And for us, you know, my husband and I moved a few times in between this as well. So we moved with, with being in the hospitality business, we had moved up north to Massachusetts and Boston area. We'd then been down in Charlotte and in DC. So during this time, there was a lot of moving and shaking going on, you know, with our worlds as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, they grew up and again, the kids grew up, um, and I, you know, don't think that life was grand at the home all the time for them either. I think, you know, again, you know, the verbal abuse and things that he would do or say to them, you know, things that they tell me now are just, you know, make your skin crawl on some of the things. And, you know, I, my nephew, you know, had said that at one point he said, I'm going to, I'm going to pull out every one of your teeth and make them as a necklace and string it as a necklace and, you know, and nail your hands to the kitchen floor and, you know, things that we had never heard that during that time, you know, but just things that you learn about and and hear Later. from them which is just now, so ref- tragic referencing back to your mom saying that he was going to kill her what started that fight or did it just fizzle out and no one ever talked about no it no one again? ever talked about it she never talked about it again. you didn't ask her oh i did but and she just didn't want to talk about it it was just an argument that they had had he was in the truck he was driving home he got mad and he started saying i'm gonna kill you basically. How long was that before he actually did kill her? Months that, or years? No, years? Years. Years. That was very early on. That was within the first year of them being together. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then it kind of makes you wonder, you know, it's always easy to sit back and think what you'd do. Mm-hmm. And I know unless we're in their shoes, we don't know what we would do. But I would think if someone threatened that of me, he's not home. I'm just going to go on and leave. I'm going to take my kid and I'm leaving. That's right. Um, but I'm sure, probably like most domestic uh, abusers do, they smooth it over. Yeah. I was just angry. I was stressed. I'm so I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I love you. All you know, things. I would never do yeah. that. You're my whole life. You're yeah. my whole world. Yeah. And they suck them right back in. That's right. Until well, next and, time. It, and anything you do on the research of domestic violence, the average woman leaves the house seven times. Wow. She'll leave the house seven different times before she actually either leaves or dies. Wow. There's so much uh, front-end control and maintained yeah. control. The The whole cycle of it is is pretty vicious, and it's soft. Yeah. It, it, I think that's what it is, is that it doesn't have anything to do with people who aren't smart. That's not what yeah. the problem is with it. It's just, I think I've told you before, Wendy is the ones that I met were really gifted at this in a scary way. Yeah. But like any other sociopath or psychopath, I mean, there's yeah. a gift to that. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty sickening. Well, and I think when you look at it, too, I mean, especially for him. It is. It was all control, right? He owned everything. Everything was in his name. You know, Lydia did not have a good steady income. Most, I mean, she raised babies, you know, Mm -hmm. for most of her time. Um, You know, so there was no means for her to do anything different. Now, she had means around her, a support system around her. But I, I think for her at the time, especially when she was raising the kids, it was like, oh, no, we'll get through this, you know, kind of thing. And I, you know, I'm on my own and I've got, you know, I think for her, it was he's going to be my savior. 
and out, you know, and I think she didn't realize until yes. she, I think until the kids were of, of, I think she knew there was something not right all the way through, but I think until the kids were grown and, you know, after that, I think things started to really, and I think as she matured, right. Cause she's still really young. Sure. And, you know, I think as she matured, started realizing this is not right. I mean, you know, again, I mean, most days she couldn't stand him, you know, and that that's so sad. You know, every I mean, who wants to live their life every day? Just miserable, miserable. I mean, just absolutely. Now, miserable. did he allow her to work or was she just chose not to? She didn't work. At, well, he didn't allow her to work when the kids like were doing their thing. Right. When when she was raising the kids early on, um, as they got a little bit older and able to kind of go with her and do things. She actually got a volunteer position uh, at one of the equine um, places. And that worked out great because she could bring the kids with her. She could have them do stuff with her at the, uh, at the horse place. Um, you know, they could help clean stalls and, you know, do some things and, and time was flexible. So when he, she needed to be home when dinner needed to be served. She could when, be there. That's right. And and she could take 19 phone calls in the day because that was definitely one of the things that, I mean, he, he was in a truck for, I mean, he's a regional truck driver. So he was in a truck for um, hours. hours and hours and hours. And all he did was phone and, and call all the time. I mean, and then he, when he wasn't in the truck, I mean, we would go. Just for the day, we I mean, literally would say, hey, we're going to go shopping and grab some lunch, just me and her or whatever. And I couldn't tell you how many times he'd call. I mean, it'd be like seven times and I'd be losing my mind going, I, you're doing the same thing you were just doing. <laughs> like, it, why it's so funny calling? because and I know you're thinking what I'm exactly, thinking. Exactly. Exactly. You know, as you heard me say on the podcast, when Angie and I went on that trip together, it was calling, texting, or FaceTiming. And it was the whole time from breakfast to now we're done with breakfast. We're going back to change. I'll call you when we get up to the room to change. We're going down to get our beach chairs. I'll call you when we get down there yeah. all day long. And, you know, I'm wondering also if he didn't okay her working at a the volunteering at the equine, because when you've got your kids, you're probably not going to be out doing anything you shouldn't because you mm -hmm. got kids with you. Yeah. Yep. And so they're kind of tethered to you. Yep. So she's still not free to do really what she wants. And I'm surprised he even allowed her to go shopping or to eat with you because that came to a stop. Well, uh, hidden, <laughs> we hidden, hid and did it, but that came to a stop also. Yeah. Well, and I would think, I think, I guess I know at this point, I know that for, you know, my husband and I, it was always, we knew, it was almost like we knew who we were dealing with, right? Yeah. You knew what kind of character he was, but you also knew to see my sister and my, my niece and nephew, you know, you can't alienate him. Like you can't be mad at him. Right. And all this you have to include him That's and pretend right. like and you so, like him. And exactly. And so, you know, for us and especially for me, you know, I, it was always to try and be inclusive, right. With him because I wanted access to her because I mean, she was my little, she was my baby, you know, and I wanted my kid, my, my niece and nephew who are my kids now, but you know, my niece and nephew, I wanted to be able to have access to them. And I knew if you alienated him, you, you're done with her it's too. It's done. Yes. It's done. 
And so we were always very inclusive with him, always tried to make him feel comfortable at Christmas. I mean, my husband and I would buy him gifts. I mean, you know, every holiday, you know, we tried to always include him. Now for him, I think that was his only reason why, because I mean, she would vacation with us like go to Pigeon Forge or she went to my 50th birthday party a year before she died. Um, She flew into Panama City, you know, and spent three or four days with me, Um, you know, some things like that. But one of the funny things he would always say is, you know, Carolyn, you're the only one I don't have anything bad to say about. And I would always go, that's good, Ken. I'm glad about that. <laughs> Little do you know how I really feel about you. And, you know, but I always, you know, and the sad part, you know, I always tried to, re- again, respect his position with Lydia. That was her boyfriend. That was the father of my niece and nephew. She's not making a change anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So I you have to deal with to, what you got. That's right. And so, you know, as much as, you know, you were just like, because I mean, half the time he would leave events or leave our, you know, house. You'd be sitting there going, oh, my gosh, he's he's awful. Like, you know, or whatever he said or tick somebody off. He's very aggressive and overbearing and just, you know, <laughs> I mean, my husband would call him sometimes uncouth, you know, yeah. like just uh, just things that he would say or do. You'd be like, why are, like, why are you doing that? You know, what a tightrope in a family dynamic. And it's yeah. another part of this ripple effect of this whole mm-hmm. thing of how that that control works out. And I'm going to bet the reason that he said that to you is he felt phenomenally successful. You were very successful in getting that out. And he felt like he controlled you really well. Mm-hmm. They love that. Yes. Too. Is it, is though, if they think that they've manipulated you hard enough and you've yeah. fallen in, then they really they hold a different place in your heart. Well, it's so funny it's because you always would say about Anton, he hates you because he's scared of you. <laughs> You'd say, I'd say, wonder why he doesn't like you know challenge me or because her some of her her ex husband's family members he had reached out to because Angie's ex husband was murdered also, and she kind of reconnected with his family because her they were the aunt and grandmother to her children that she had with that ex-husband. So they all kind of rekindled and he messaged them and said, you will not message her anymore. I am her husband now. You're done. And so I I asked David one day, I said, wonder why he doesn't message me and say, do not message her no more. She has me now. And he said, I think he's scared of you. Well, you, you are the voice of reason. Mm-hmm. And, and there's that, there's a barrier there is that yeah. you, if anybody was going to get in her ear, he knew that would be you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, that, uh, he probably, and you're, you're, you're at a high type D, you know, an alpha mm-hmm. person is that he could envision you probably throwing a flower sack overhead and putting in a van and taking her mm-hmm. away from him. I mean, it, it, there's there's a certain line. What I think you were and so I, successful that yeah. he really felt like he had manipulated. Yeah, you, he, you were he doing thought, a great job about. Because I'm with you about how do you handle that? Because one, respecting Lydia mm-hmm. and that relationship, even yeah. if it's not the one you would desire for, and then the kids. Yeah, right. I, I, yeah. What a, a hard thing to do, commendable thing to do. <laughs> now, did um, Lydia have a? best friend that she kind of told her that was it a wendy and angie with lydia and someone else she had a really good friend there towards the end um but not 
long enough before that, right? Yeah. Um, she actually had a dear friend that was uh, my niece's uh, mom who had become almost like a really close best friend. In fact, her and I had even talked with Lydia about three months before she died. I mean, we had literally been on the phone, her and I, this this friend, talking about how we could actually put Lydia down under, like literally, like we had, the friend had a rental home, a possibility where he would not know this home. Um, we had talked about, you know, being able to give her some money, you know, she'd have to cancel the cell phones. I mean, just a lot of things mm-hmm. would have to, to happen start again. to start over. And when we talked to Lydia about it, you know, it's funny you look back now, but when we talked to Lydia about it, it was, you know, I can't, I can't be away from you and Daryl and, you know, and Boo Boo and, you know, all the family. And I'm, you know, because that was her big thing is, you know, you all are my only support, right? You know, I can't be away from. Was there a way to secretly still see her, though, if you all moved her somewhere? Probably not, just because he was so super, like, when it came to that kind of stuff, I, I we were just scared that, I mean, he would know that she would want to be with with us or seeing us. And that was too much to even, you know, so it was like we'd come up with the option of, okay, you got to either do this, go down under mm-hmm. kind of world, you know, almost like with the greenhouse 17, yes. kind of go off the radar, the grid. Um, or, you know, you got to get a plan to get out and start that plan. So she decided to go down that route. If you are a victim of domestic violence or partner violence, please call your local police department or the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You are not alone. There are resources available to help you and your family. Hey, you know there's more to the story, so go download the next episode like the true crime fan that you are. The Murder Police Podcast is hosted by Wendy and David Lyons and was created to honor the lives of crime victims, so their names are never forgotten. It is produced, recorded, and edited by David Lyons. The Murder Police Podcast can be found on your favorite Apple or Android podcast platform, as well as at murderpolicepodcast.com, where you will find show notes, transcripts, information about our presenters, and a link to the official Murder Police Podcast merch store, where you can purchase a huge variety of Murder Police Podcast swag. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, which is closed caption for those that are hearing impaired. Just search for the Murder Police Podcast and you will find us. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe for more and give us five stars and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. Make sure you set your player to automatically download new episodes so you get the new ones as soon as they drop. And please tell your friends. Lock it down, Judy.